Hey, everybody. Welcome to Priorcaster. This is Bob. Thanks, everybody, for being here today. I'm uh, going to talk to uh, James Earl O'Brien. He's got three names, uh, so you can remember him easier. <laughs> and uh, he started out with a little thing called Rant Radio. Now, I'm not that familiar with Rant Radio. It was, it was uh, brought to me from uh, another person who runs a site called the True, the Incredibly True Facts of Outer Space. And he said, you got to talk to James about early audio on the internet. And that's how he came to us today. And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about. So part of the idea behind this uh, series is that I'm trying to talk to people who are doing um, media, specifically audio uh, and video on the internet. Well, before people, you know, were thinking too much about it. I mean, there's stuff out there, obviously, but it, it was before YouTube. It was before kind of the democratization of media on the Internet that we have today. And um, and so, yeah, I wanted to, to see what James had to say. So the funny thing is, James, so uh, just for reference, I started doing a show uh, on on the first of January '99, and I see you started the radio on the third of January 1999, which is so close. It's just uh, incredible. So, but but wow. we're a little bit different in the sense because uh, I think, at least from what I'm, I've, I've uh, gathered here, so uh, I started a show called Static Radio, which is a weekly show, and it's been weekly ever since. But you started actually a streaming station. So tell us tell us a little bit about That's... the beginnings of Rant Radio. That's right. Um, yeah, I started up January 3rd, 1999 is when I flipped the switch on Rant Radio. Um, so it went full time 24 seven from mm. January 3rd, 1999 to January 3rd, 2019. So I just shut it off just a couple <laughs> of years ago, <laughs> which is amazing. It's probably uh, the longest running radio internet only radio station ever now that's oh, hard sure. to verify but I'll, yeah I'll, I'll i'll take that claim until somebody proves me otherwise yeah definitely um, yeah it was it was a lot of fun and it'll be a lot of fun revisiting those uh those early years of internet audio and video because i not only did streaming audio but uh we also did streaming video but we'll we'll get into that as the timeline okay. progresses so why um so what what was the like uh so i'm sure obviously stuff happened before january 3rd because i know i did a lot of stuff yeah. to prep for for what we were doing and you had to do a lot more because this is not something that was happening i mean uh people no. average people uh you know were not streaming putting anything on the internet let alone streaming 24 hours so what was the build-up to, to launching this yeah internet back then was very rudimentary if you saw if you listened to vid video or watched video and listened to audio back then very low quality barely any video on the internet in 1999 remember youtube started in 2006 podcast mm. wasn't even a word in 1999 right. it was <laughs> right. many years later um but like you said there's there's a buildup. it it doesn't just happen overnight uh my obsession with the radio world started quite early um when i was just single digits old and i had uh, a boom box and i mm -hmm. would just flip through 
the stations on my boombox really slowly, and I would write down the call numbers of stations that I could hear, and I would tune them in. Even if they're like really, really fuzzy, I would I would listen to them for hours, waiting for a call sign, and I would write them down. I would just I was just obsessed with, you know, this wireless transmission of of audio, and and fascinated by it. And my uh, younger and sis younger sister and I used to record fake radio shows when I was around ten years old. I sadly don't have those. Like we literally oh, really? recorded them on on my yeah. boombox onto cassette tape, and I wish I had even one of those. But you know, other music was more important than stupid radio shows, and I recorded over top of those. Of course, oh, no. <laughs> uh, try trying to cut out, uh, you know, how people did cut out uh, the DJ and cut out the advertisements and recorded music mm -hmm. off off of the radio. Um, and I would listen to, you know, random shows on local university radio stations late at night and sometimes call in. And, you know, radio shows uh, on these university stations, they're just people like average people who who went to school at the radio mm -hmm. stations and just signed up to do a show and they were just mm -hmm. bizarre. They would play just whatever, or they would just talk to their friends. And I was like, these people can just do a show. Like you're allowed to just do a show and put it on the air. And of course on university stations, you could swear and talk about anything pretty much you want. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was just constantly fascinated by, by radio. And then it all kind of came together around 1991 when I watch, watched um, Christian Slater in the movie Pump oh, Up the yeah. Volume. Pump Up the Volume, yeah, Pirate and, Radio. <laughs> pirate Radio, and that really cemented my love for radio. And it's like, oh, you don't even need permission <laughs> to broadcast. <laughs> of course, the ending of the movie was didn't turn out so well for him. He went to jail, um, but oh, well. <laughs> or presumably went to jail. <laughs> Um, but yeah, he Hollywood got jail at the Hollywood end of the jail. movie. Yeah. <laughs> Hollywood jail, you know, a, a moral lesson to, you know, not uh, not disrupt the status quo. But I was very fascinated by pump up the volume and radio. And so shortly after that, I, I worked at um, my the university radio station when I when I started to go to university. And I made commercials for radio shows and for concerts coming up that were playing at the university. Um, so I was, uh, I was also in bands around that time. So I kind of dabbled in audio as well, you know, recording mm -hmm. our own music and, and at the radio station, it was very rudimentary. We, we use tape and we splice <laughs> tape and right. dubbed, dubbed on a four track dub tracks and, and mm -hmm. dubbed them down to one track. And, and I was playing with stereo effects and I was, I was amazed by it. And I, and I wanted to do a show on there and I submitted some terrible demo for them to listen to and uh they i never got back i heard back from them about the radio <laughs> show so obviously it was a little too early for me to have one um and then shortly after that i looked into what it would take to do what christian, christian slater did on pump up right. the volume and you know make my own low power pirate radio station but in the end it was too expensive and i was too scared to to go ahead with that so those oh, were all no. kind of pre the precursor to 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 rant radio. These is all the things leading up and my fascination with it. That's fine. Um, now I just so um, that, and a, okay, yeah. I'm sorry. An aside here, just real quick. I I do have yeah. uh, recordings from when I did radio uh, 
as a, as a kid. Wow. I haven't put them out anywhere yet, but now you got me thinking I should probably <laughs> take a listen. I, I know where they're at, but, um, uh, and then the funny thing is that Miles and I started our show on college radio. So the whole idea was we did our show ah. on college radio. And after we graduated, we went into our lives and we wanted to take that experience and bring it out into the real world. And, um, you right. know, uh, into the, in the internet was there for the taking at that point, but that's so funny that there's kind of the same um, <laughs> kind of love of, of of radio and love of kind of what was happening during those days. And, um, you know, and I just love the tape splicing. And, you know, did you have to did you use carts? <laughs> did you have to do all your things on carts? At the oh, radio yeah. So it's, yep, it's a whole to, analog had to dub them world. onto carts and yeah. Oh, the analog world. I, I, I didn't really like I enjoyed doing it, but I knew that there must be a better way. And I knew <laughs> like computers were getting better and better. And the, the quality of being able to record audio mm. on your home computer was getting better and better. So I knew that that was going to go away at some point, but that's what they worked with. You know, they had ancient equipment there that they hadn't updated in, you know, a decade right. or decades. So uh, yeah, it a lot with, of stuff came out of World War II. <laughs> honestly honestly exactly. in college in college radio a lot of stuff was like was like just at post-war in the 50s because of uh leftover availability. there was so much <laughs> left they just bought it for pennies you know so but yeah Makes i'm sorry sense. go yeah, ahead not I, using I it. <laughs> <laughs> no it's it's good it's just a, a reminiscent of of uh old times it's mm. it's lots of fun to think about this stuff and uh yeah to really think back about uh, oh, okay how did this all progress and make some notes but then uh so after after you know the university thing it it never left my mind but you know there was no there's no real way of doing it, it the only right. way to have a show was to get on a station like mm -hmm. there was there was gatekeeping there was things in place that disallowed the average person to just get on the radio and you know you have to do your normal job and and make money and everything like that um so the 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 seeds of actual rant radio started a couple of years before and i met this uh very enigmatic enigmatic person called Sean Kennedy Mm -hmm. uh through my friends uh around 1997 so this was a couple of years before rant radio and he just fascinated me he he was so entertaining and eloquent in the things he said and whenever he started talking you know a crowd of people would gather around him and he would just get right into it and the he just fascinated me so around that time i was filming my friends doing stupid things and you know driving their jeeps off road or whatever <laughs> and uh and i was just filming everything like that and then i started kind of filming sean kennedy and he was a little bit reluctant he was like what did why why are you filming me like and i was <laughs> like you are you're amazing. Like I have to film this. This is this is amazing. I didn't know what I was going to do with it, but I I thought, yeah, this guy needs to be shown to other people or filmed. And so at that time the internet was quite basic. Everybody was on dial-up modems. Um you you know, you logged off. You disconnected from the internet back then. And when you wanted to go do something, 
you dialed into the internet. You weren't on all the time. So the next piece of the puzzle was broadband internet, where you were online all the time. And this is, you know, this is just the way it is nowadays. But back then, mm -hmm. this was amazing. You just sat down your computer and you were already online. Mm -hmm. And the speeds were well above what dial-up was. So as soon as I got broadband, I was like, okay, this is this is amazing. But that wasn't the final piece of the puzzle. The final piece of the puzzle was broadcasting software. Mm. And there was broadcasting software before I started the radio station. There was, you know, real audio. And that mm -hmm. was kind of the one of the only things that really had broadcast uh, abilities. Mm -hmm. um, but there was no infrastructure, really. Um, there was no 24-7 radio stations. Not, not really. Um, but you could record audio and post audio in real uh, real format, and it was terrible and very low quality. Right. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the th the thing that really cemented it was a piece of software called Shoutcast. Mm. Uh, it was made by a company called Nullsoft. Mm. Uh, they they made a other another piece of software called Winamp, which is the software that pretty much everyone back then on the internet knew about because mm. it was a great audio player, but. What Shoutcast was, was uh, two parts. One part was it hooked up to Winamp, and through Winamp, you could broadcast some, anything. You could broadcast the music you were playing in Winamp, or it had a microphone plug-in as well. And you could talk into a microphone, and it would broadcast what you're saying into a microphone, or line in, or whatever. And... Mm -hmm they maintained a list of people who were broadcasting and it was all the shoutcast streams mm -hmm. so as soon as that i saw that and i saw that listed because i was keeping up and update of my winamp and they notified oh the shoutcast thing and that was around november december 1998 so i started playing around with that during you know the christmas break around that time and i was like okay this I can actually make a station with this. <laughs> and so I got all the pieces together and named the station Rant Radio. And that was based on Sean Kennedy because he would do these kind of rants when he talked. He would rant about this subject or that subject and I would film him ranting about this or that. And it was really entertaining. So I thought, oh, Rant Radio, it's alliteration. Yeah. It works with you know things that Sean was doing. And I thought, okay, I could take these rants that he does and make little clips and put them on the station in between music or in between whatever I was planning on doing. Mm -hmm. And in January 3rd, 1999 is when I kind of had everything together. I uh, had some friends who wanted to do some shows. Uh, one of them was uh, my friend Darcy who wanted to do a show called uh, What the Hell? And it's just him going off about this, that, or the other <laughs> thing. He had a delivery job. Uh, he had a van and doing deliveries for a, a local uh, delivery company. And he would, uh, you know, talk about his day or what happened on his show. And I would, I, I was kind of, the, I was the station manager. And I didn't really have a show. I kind of had a show, and I, but I was mostly about recruiting other people to have shows because oh, I wanted, okay. you know, uh, run it like a real radio station. And I yeah. would have 
uh, time slots and, you know, people would broadcast live or they could send in their uh, MP3 of their show that they pre-recorded and I would set up a schedule and I would play shows at certain times. Um, but January 3rd, 1999 was the 24-7 broadcasting. Turned it on and didn't turn it on after that. Uh, wow. Didn't turn it off after that. It was 24-7 after that. The the bit rate was barely listenable because, <laughs> okay, there wasn't, you didn't send your stream to Shoutcast mm -hmm. and they would relay it. Right. They would just list your stream. So mm -hmm. every listener that tuned into your station, they would draw more and more of your bandwidth. Yeah. So really, I could only host about 10 people at mm -hmm. a time on the bandwidth I had. And it was like, I don't know what it was. It was 24 kilobits per second. Like it was pretty <laughs> low fidelity. That's for sure. So I got my, my roommate had a uh, cable modem of his own at that time. And I had a cable modem and Darcy had a cable modem. And we set up relays where oh. their cable, they could set up listening to my primary stream and then I, I set up a playlist that people could download. And the playlist consisted of my modem stream, my roommate's modem stream, and Darcy's mm -hmm. modem stream. So they could click through them and they would just see if one a slot was open. So then we had oh. 30 slots. And I was like, oh, wow. oh that's great. Yeah, that's a lot smart. of people can that's listen now. in there, yeah. It, I was wondering yeah, so about your bandwidth situation. At the, I thought back <laughs> then, I mean, there's no bandwidth. I mean... Oh. You would. No, uh, it was rough. That's that's a smart <laughs> way to do it, so that that way you could get more uh, going. Because other, I mean, it was very expensive uh, uh, just to have the connection, let alone uh, a bigger connection. So yeah, yeah. So we did anything we could to to get more listeners and get more bandwidth, and we regularly maxed it out. Mm -hmm. um, and and as time went on. Um, and more people listened, more people volunteered their uh, uh, oh. bandwidth as well. They would host it on their computers. And mm. uh, then they would, some of the listeners were, you know, they're very tech savvy, like myself and my roommate and Darcy. And they, some of them worked at ISPs and oh. they would host a stream at their ISP on a server that's parked there. And they had pretty much unlimited bandwidth at that point. Mm -hmm. yeah. So that solved a lot of problems. And then Darcy didn't need to do it. My roommate didn't need to do it. I just had my primary stream and mostly just with like a like one um, stream out and they would take care of all the listeners. So I only needed mm -hmm. the primary stream. Um, wow. So, so Darcy was doing what the hell. And I was doing a show called State of the Station. It was very dry. It was pretty much announcing what new DJs were coming on and how the stream was going and just very dry stuff, super terrible. <laughs> and and Darcy was having uh, was doing it by himself as well. And he found it was it was a lot. It was very difficult because there's no direct feedback. So mm -hmm. what we did was joined forces and we did the what the hell show at my place and we both were on the show. And so we did co-hosting duties and that was so much better because we could bounce off each other and both mm -hmm. bring, you know, ideas and news stories or whatever we wanted to talk about. It was just a random, random show talking about random stuff. 
And uh, yeah, so we uh, we did that in my bedroom, first of all, because that was the cave modem and that's where my computer <laughs> was in the bedroom. It was a small house, mm -hmm. uh, a small apartment. And we would invite our friends over. And eventually there was a kind of a consistent group of guys that uh, came over every Sunday night at mm -hmm. uh, I think it was around six or seven or eight. We changed the time, time a bunch, but it was once a week, Sunday nights. And we had uh, a very consistent crew and some of them kind of developed their own bits. One person worked as a security guard in a hospital and he would do something called gross hospital stories <laughs> where he would talk, <laughs> talk about uh, the things he saw in the hospital or, you know, irate people that he had to deal with and endlessly entertaining. And another person who worked at a hardware store and he would talk about stories about his day and it just grew and grew. And the things we had for the show were like, we had a chat going because back then uh, there was something called IRC, RRC. Internet yeah. Relay Chat. Mm -hmm. And people would listen and we had our own, you know, chat room and we would get direct feedback from people. And that was amazing because they could comment and we could say things that they would type in and there was direct feedback. And that really brought up the show a lot where, you know, people could actually interact. And then we, uh, then I got a 1-800 number for the station and it would oh, wow. just forward, forward to my home phone. And it would, it was 1-888-SAY-RANT or 1-877-SAY-RANT or something like that. Mm -hmm. Had rant in the title. And <laughs> it would just for, forward to my home phone and it would just do a double ring. So I knew it was the 1-800 number. And we could put people on the air. And it was like, oh, my God, this is an actual real radio station now. We had everything a real radio station did that was on the air. So we had callers. We had shows. Uh, we had 24-7 streaming. We had a schedule. And it was really, really legit at this point. And just like I did at the college or the university radio station, uh, we did just tons and tons of fun station promos that we would put in between songs or we would play in the middle of our show and we would just, you know, oh, it's a half hour in, we're going to do take a five minute break. We'd put on a song and put on a promo, go to get a glass of water and and we would put these promos in random rotation. It, it was so much fun. <laughs> so did, did you have a board then? So when you put your collars in, did you run them through a, a mixer or... How did you do that? So did you have a, a mixing board for your microphones and all that, just like a radio station? Early on, we had one microphone uh, yeah. <laughs> and we had a just just a normal phone and we put it on speaker. There you uh, go. And we'd hold it up, hold it up to the microphone, low, low tech. And as things progressed, we got a mixing board, more microphones, and we would have you know, the microphone for the people who spoke a lot. And if somebody else wanted to talk, they would hand off the microphone. So we we got up to like, I don't know, six or eight microphones for the for the audience. And we had a, a room microphone kind of hanging over head uh. that would pick up just things in the background. And eventually we did run through, run the telephone through the mixing board as well. That was a bit of a pain because we had to make sure there wasn't feedback and right. everything like that. We we could have fixed it. Eventually, we got a second computer. So everything ran through that one computer. So there mm -hmm. wasn't feedback coming back. 
Um, But that took a long time for us to wrap our head around that. (laughs) So at first we recorded out of my bedroom and then we moved it to the living room and we bought a huge, long, you know, tape fold out table so everybody could sit around and we put all the snacks there. And (laughs) and then after my roommate moved out of, of my apartment, Um, we turned his room into a dedicated broadcasting room. So everything was set up permanently. And that was absolutely amazing. It was a lot of fun. We got everybody to sign the wall and did a huge logo of, of the station on the wall. It was, it was, it was amazing. Um, and eventually we had like meetups, uh, local meetups for people who were local or, you know, coming into town. Um, we made various, merchandise for the for the station like the i know listeners can't see this but uh we right. made a flag oh, a of big the, flag of the there, logo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah the logo is actually based on um uh, you know those uh, on construction sites you have a headphone logo right. or mm-hmm. or ear ear protection, ear protection. Logo. yeah um ear protection so that was that was our our logo we we adopted that and made our own version of it so it's kind of fits into like oh you're listening watch out dangerous if you listen to our station so yeah and and later on when we branched out into video which we'll get into later uh we we used the the eye protection uh mm, for that gotcha. that was the symbol for our our video branch of rant is the eye protection. And, and then the main logo, because we turned it into Rant Media, because we had video and audio, we did the ear ear protection and, and right, eye protection. Yeah. That was kind of the, the full adopted one. And we had so, shirts and DVDs and CDs oh, yeah. and all the things you do, you know, for fun. So now you, you talked about the local uh, folks and so forth. So uh, I know you're in the Pacific time zone, but can you give us an idea of where? Yeah. Yeah, we are. Uh, we're based out of Vancouver, uh, British okay. Columbia, Canada. So Canada. Yeah. That's yeah, fascinating. So, you know, we're fairly technologically advanced in Vancouver. It's a fairly large city, and oh, you know, we got broadband. Yeah, it's fairly early. That we got about 1995, 96 broadband wide adoption there. Yeah. I've actually been to Vancouver, believe it or not. Uh, it's a great city ah, and uh, it's beautiful. Nice. Hope it wasn't rainy when you visited. Um, <laughs> it, it, well, it was. It, it had rain, but it wasn't rainy while I was there um, most of the day. Okay. So I got to walk around and and uh, you know by the, the water and everything, and it was just kind of a neat uh, a neat city. I'd driven up from uh, Seattle. I went to Seattle to visit oh, a, nice. a friend, and we drove up uh for a, a trip up short to, drive just about yeah up to hours. canada yeah yeah so that's that's also interesting because I, I think that you know that um uh and I, i'm assuming rogers was your your isp yeah we have rogers and shaw back then and they yeah. kind of flipped so i it, it was rogers to begin with and now it's shaw in vancouver and now oh, okay. they're merging so uh yeah they flipped back they flipped cu- half of the country it was very strange That's like very, rogers took strange. shaw's area and shaw took rogers area very very bizarre but yeah that was that was our broadband our uh, cable internet broadband provider back then 
Now, how, like, so one of the, so I was lucky enough that I had access to the real audio um, server. I had access to one. I didn't have to pay for it. So you're talking about all these ah, things now. Lucky. Now, now they, were, yeah, they, were, they weren't cheap. I mean, the only reason that I started doing stuff was because yep. I had access, because there was no way that I was going to, uh, you know, fork out the money for that. And, and, yeah, you're talking exactly. about a lot of stuff here. I mean, not not just having the connection, obviously, at the time was you were on the upper echelon of people uh, online. So but how did yeah. you how did you fund your project here? Because I mean, this is a lot of I mean, it sounds simple <laughs> when you know, when people think, oh, well, heck, I could do that on my phone. No, you don't understand. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> like that. Nothing. This is all very, very high end at the time. Yeah. So Back what then, if you think about computers, yeah, the there was no funding. In fact, I really <laughs> detest ad, advertising. Um, we didn't have any ads. Uh, we didn't really do anything with money. It was really out of my my own pocket because of the yeah. the love for doing it, and everything was donated by fans. All the oh really rebroadcast server shoutcast was free. I mean, I had my own computer and I, I usually kept up with computers and had fairly high-end computers. Mm -hmm. And back then, um, to, to broadcast, you had to encode your stream in right. real time mm -hmm. into a, for, a compressed format so that mm -hmm. at the other end, it, it would be fast through the internet and at the other end, they would uncompress it. And the format was MP3s. And uh, it was fairly taxing on the computer, actually, back then to encode in real time right. <laughs> uh, the, an MP3. Like that, that was quite, quite mind-blowing. Right now, like now we can encode video at a very high in 4K right. in real time. So right. it seems like nothing to encode an MP3 audio, but it was quite, quite a thing to do it back then. Um, but yeah, we didn't have really any funding. I really didn't. Like selling the shirts was more of like a demand from the fans more right. than anything else. Um, or like, oh, we wanted a shirt for ourselves. We wanted a flag for ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, let's just make one. And oh, by the way, well, we're selling them too. And it, it pretty much worked out that the cost of shipping and manufacturing everything, we pretty much broke even. So I, yeah. it really, I, I never saw it as a money-making venture because- sure. It was a limited audience. Um, I really wasn't going for, you know, generic, uh, worldwide appeal. We just did what we liked because right. if I wasn't enjoying it, I wouldn't be doing it. So <laughs> we just did what we wanted. And if there was an audience for what we like to do, then that's great. Um, so you're, so, you're yeah, a pioneer really of crowdfunding as well then. So crowdfunding pioneer <laughs> could be added to your 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 long moniker here yeah. with this, because uh, I don't think people were thinking yeah. like that. And you are obviously it, that happened. And that was part of the, the, the fun really is the fact that people yeah. were to, helping you out and, but they wanted to, because they wanted to be part of the, the scene, the part of the, what's going on. Yeah. Yeah. And they could see the, the sincerity in it. Like they could see that we're doing it for the love of it and not for money or any ulterior motives mm -hmm. so they were more than willing to help out as well because that made them part of it and it really mm -hmm. did make them part of it it really helped out all the 
all the things that people provided, they provided, there, we had so many graphic artists doing these logos for us, um, mm -hmm. doing like wallpaper when that was a, a thing right. back then on, <laughs> on your desktop. And, right. And uh, just just doing you know promos for us, rehosting our 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 server, our streams. Mm -hmm. It was really a community effort, and I really enjoyed that aspect of it. Um, and you know, they were DJs too in our station, and they right. they everything contributed towards it. And it was a really uh, a nice community effort. We had a a forum as well where people could could go discuss things um yeah it was it was a really fun really fun time and that's that's kind of how i i go about things even to this day it's i do something that i like and if there's an audience for it all the better and usually mm -hmm. you know now because the internet is worldwide there's an mm -hmm. audience for anything there's an audience there's a niche out there that that needs to be uh you know uh fulfilled and if you have an interest in it, there's a whole bunch of other people have that same interest, whether it's a, a radio show or, you know, video games or anything. It can it could be anything. There's there's definitely an audience for that. Oh, that's fascinating. Um, so oh, I, I got to ask you, so as you because you sent me a little thing to help me out here uh, with my research <laughs> yes. and you say porn that's just a beta. general overview. Yeah. Oh, porn on beta joins yeah. the rant media family. Now, having personally worked <laughs> in a video store and, you know, and uh, peddled porn, as it were, uh, porn on beta is such a great <laughs> right. name. I don't know why, you yes. know, I haven't seen it before and thought about, you know, the, the kind of the name is so good. But tell us a little bit about yeah. how so that this is like one of the people that kind of came along, I guess, with you. Well, this is fairly tangential to the radio station, but but uh, related. It, it was actually it's actually the band that I was in at oh, the time. Okay, well, there you go. Still, still kind of in. Um, it's it's kind of you know. You still you still moment, have but, that uh, out there. So then you have. Do you do yeah, you buy we, up old beta videotapes and put your logo and throw it out in the audience? <laughs> Well, we just thought it was a great uh, name for a band because it's it's evocative. People pay attention to it, mm -hmm. and it's related to uh, media and the yeah. push forward of technology. Because you know, Sony didn't want or or uh, beta tapes were mm -hmm. were the medium for porn at the beginning, and um, uh, actually. It was the opposite. Sony owned beta and they didn't right. want they didn't porn want on porn. beta. JVC. So, so yeah. JVC was fine with it on the VHS right. uh, yeah. format. So we thought, oh, this is this is an interesting kind of name <laughs> and put porn on beta. It makes people pay attention. And so it's yeah, I'm the the singer in that in that band. And it's kind of an electronic band. And and uh we've just kind of released an album under the rant media. Oh, okay. name or whatever at the time that that's kind wow. of the uh the relationship between uh, that and rant and and we had we you know we played music on the station in between the radio shows you know when there was no scheduled dj we would just put on you know whatever music we we wanted to put on and it was uh you know electronic music mostly uh back yeah. then so how did you escape you know the trappings of of the Napster age because that was a, the age of Napster, 
And a lot of the record yeah. companies were going after people uh, for copyright <laughs> violation just for having a copy of something. Right. But if you're streaming it, I mean, I can't imagine that you weren't a target. That's um, that's an interesting conversation, actually. <laughs> um, in in Canada, there are different rules than in the U.S. And at the time, I, I don't know now, but at the time, there were actually no rules on broadcasting uh, music oh, on okay. the Internet. And uh, we there were rules going to go into place, but they were so absolutely heavy handed and mm -hmm. asking for massive amounts of money mm -hmm. for every song that was played on the internet mm -hmm. that it would effectively shut down internet broadcasts. Like you would have yeah. to raise so much money through advertising or other means to be able to offset the costs of music that it would be unfeasible for any kind of uh, broadcast over the internet. And we actually actively fought against the, the, the Canadian legislation. It was, mm -hmm. uh, a uh, something, you know, bill 22 or something, you know, they change the numbers right. all the time. And, right. uh, yeah. we, we actually, you know, wrote letters and asked our, our viewers to, to write into the, uh, to SOCAN, which is the, the governmental agency that, um, uh, runs, uh, the internet and radio stations in terms of music. And uh, mm -hmm. it was successfully defeated. So we didn't need to uh, pay any of the any of the uh, uh, the money to to broadcast uh, music over the internet. So it was successful oh, and fantastic. we're able to continue on our merry way. Unfortunately, in the US, it was not quite the same. No, and they went what? after <laughs> they went after radio stations and uh, mm -hmm. you would pretty much have to do all your own original bro pro programming right. uh, in the U.S. if you wanted to continue. And uh, we were prepared for that. If it did actually go through, we would just get rid of all the music and just do a completely talk talk radio format right. and just, you know, repeat repeat the, the shows and don't have any music in between. That's a, that's a fascinating aspect so, of things, having uh, been, been in the States and experienced all that during that time period. Um, and yeah. not being quite as aware, obviously, of, of, of the Canadian situation. But I, I'm glad that it worked out that way. And I think um, <laughs> we probably all would be better off if it worked out that way in the States as well, to be honest with you. But uh, uh, it didn't. Yeah, it got, I, I can, really I can understand that it did. And I can understand the artist's point of view, um, wanting to be paid for uh, playing their songs on the radio but from our perspective as a station we didn't have advertising we didn't right. make any money so right. even the, the the legislation was so heavy-handed that it was even if you took no money in and made no money from the station they still wanted the money it wasn't a percentage of uh gross revenue or right. anything like that it was just straight up whatever number of right. cents per song or whatever. And it, it was just pay too to, much. To and uh, so pay that's what play. we, yeah, it was completely pay to play and, and it would have just shut it down. Kind of a funny aside. Now uh, we got Spotify and, and all the other ones and they get paid yeah. little or nothing anyway. So there you go. <laughs> you yeah, may have your stuff around, on Spotify as uh, your, your yeah. band on Spotify. And I'm sure you don't make, 
you know, big bank on the streams for that. I, I, I know people that, you know, I don't have anything myself, but uh, I know other people that yeah, do. And I've they, heard they horror stories. You just, it's not, you know, I mean, unless you're getting millions not profitable. Millions of millions so Yeah. And even then it's, it's really all down to uh, concerts now mm-hmm. and merchandise and not radio plays, not CDs. I mean, those are all dead mm-hmm. and not even streams. It's, it's all the ancillary stuff that you have to make money on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, the streaming is more like advertising for them than anything else. And the real product is, you know, the, the deluxe set of, the t-shirt and the poster and the vinyl, you know, right. things like that. The right. merchandise. So, so a uh, lot of things uh, kind of branched off from the radio show mm-hmm. uh, going forward. I'll, I'll let you ask a question. Oh, no, no. I, I was just going to, I was going to go to the, so as you progress into the two thousands and so forth, you're, I, I you, you right. obviously add things and you're doing other things as well and so forth. And that's and, right. You so just before so uh, pre two thousand and four, which podcasting kind of came on the scene in two thousand and four. Um, so pre two thousand and four, what what direction were you heading? Is just before that all happened. Well, that's a that's a good thing to bring up um, because when we were doing the show, um, at first we weren't recording it; it was just going out into the ether. And oh wow! W- so it just it just went away. We probably just thought this is stupid. Why would we ever record this? <laughs> um, <laughs> but we eventually did start recording the shows quite quite quickly after. Um, and it started when we, we when we needed uh, pictures from each show. It's like oh, we wanted to show who was in the studio at the time, mm-hmm. and so we we set up the video camera. We didn't really have a a digital camera or anything back then, but we had a video camera. Mm -hmm. So what we would do is film kind of the intro of the show when everyone said, hey, I'm here, whoever's here. And we would film that. And then we would take stills from the video and and put them on the computer. And we would uh, post them on the website and and say, okay, these are the people that are in the studio. And... Mm -hmm. And eventually we we would just let this tape run and then we would rewind it and re-record over the tape. <laughs> and then we then we thought, well, you know what? We could just hook up a VCR to this camera and run it on really, really slow uh recording where you can SLP. get six hours on a videotape. <laughs> Yes, yeah, super long play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. and our shows were our sh- shows were about two to three hours, so we could get two shows per tape, and so we started to record the shows, and we would dump those shows and re-encode them into uh, a a decent bit rate, higher than what was streamed over the internet, and we would put them on the website for people to download. And so this was podcasting before podcasting Mm -hmm. and we could offer the old shows and people could listen to those. And so we missed, you know, the first 10 shows or something like that, but we have, we had all the other shows uh, available for download after that. And what format uh, did you guys use for that? What format did you use for that, uh, for your archive at that point? Do you remember? 
I, I'm uh, just curious. Originally, we used uh, 32 kilobits per second uh, stereo. Um, I can't remember the other. I I think it was 16 kilohertz or something. Um, okay. Something that was decent, you know, half decent to listen to. Not super high quality, but it was only talk radio. So it was fine at that bit rate. The, the voices came through loud and clear. Mm. Music was a bit muddy and swishy at 32 kilobits per second <laughs> but uh, we could let it run and encode at uh, a very slow rate so it could get the best quality you could out of it and uh yeah people really liked it and they downloaded it after the fact and and uh yeah we had people mirroring these these downloads as well and eventually we uh redid them all and put them up to 128 kilobits per second okay and then uh in the late 2010s i went through all the archives of the what the hell show and redid them in video format because we not only recorded the audio for it i no. was thinking ahead without thinking ahead <laughs> and you know we're we're recording it out of video camera so why not get the right. video too so we just incidentally recorded the video for all these shows from back in 1999 uh, mm. onward. So we, on YouTube, you can go to YouTube right now and watch almost every single, except for the ones we didn't record, every single show in video format. And uh, I, I don't know why, but at that time, sometimes we hopped on the video camera and zoomed in to <laughs> record somebody telling a story as well. I guess That's just in cool. case we wanted to watch it back watch it back later and so was, so, uh, so was youtube the uh first place that that video ever landed did you ever put it up on your own before then no it was youtube um okay. that that specific specific thing uh went to other projects uh we did post on the internet in video format before youtube existed mm -hmm. and we can get into that and uh in a second sure um so to continue on with the radio, mm -hmm. um, we after the What the Hell show, that was our big first show and that uh, went on for like a year and a half. Mm -hmm. And it kind of petered out when I moved um, away from the area where all my friends were, moved a little bit far away, and it was hard for them to get out. So I kind of wound that down. And uh, then Sean did other shows and i did other shows and i did shows with sean and those were very successful as well and um but one thing that came out of the what the hell show or no it was one of sean's shows it was called tales from the after now and mm -hmm. it is a post-apocalyptic sci-fi old school radio play oh, style show where mm -hmm. it's pre-recorded and it has sound effects it has music underneath it it's sean doing all the voices and he's doing it pretty much off the top of his head he's he's amazing actually he's absolutely amazing <laughs> storyteller so he has like six notes on a piece of paper about just like the broad story points and mm -hmm. he would go off for an hour telling uh on the fly kind of he i mean he would think about it beforehand and just have notes for where he's going uh mm -hmm. and he would tell it in a first person perspective 
of somebody from the future broadcasting to people in the past to warn them <laughs> about the post-apocalypse that's about to come. You know, Max Headroom, Mad Max right. kind yeah. of style of universe. Sure. And the way this show was introduced to our audience was in that format where this show was trying to break through our broadcast to interrupt our broadcast <laughs> to warn our listeners about the future so we would play these little cryptic static filled clips mm -hmm. during our live broadcast and it would be like played backwards or really really uh, obscured and people would be trying to decrypt it. And we would pretend that we didn't notice anything was happening. <laughs> and it would just it would just go away from us for a second. And then it would come back and we'd be in the middle of a sentence. And oh. we wouldn't, and 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 then our listeners would be like, oh, something happened and there was some static. And we'd be like, oh, that's weird. We'll check our connections, pretend to. And <laughs> and every week we would make it more and more clear and more and more audible what this person was saying from the future oh. and in and then it would lead up to at the end of one of our broadcasts it would cleanly go into the first episode of tales from the after now oh, and coinc so everybody was like oh my god what is this this is amazing and it really is amazing storytelling like top-notch storytelling from sean Show. Mm -hmm. And coincidentally, at the end of the first episode of Tales from the After Now, our internet cut out. And not only our internet <laughs> cut out, while we're broadcasting live, the whole area, the whole uh, city cut out of internet. Oh. And so people were freaking out <laughs> about, like they were pinging us and trying to figure out Oh my God, they went off the air and, and there's nobody <laughs> on the air around there. So it really, really played into the lore of this of this show. And uh the Tales from the Afternoon did like two seasons of like like 20 episodes or something. And it was really, really amazing. And then later on, uh, about 10 years after, we produced an animated short film based on one of the episodes oh, wow. and it uh went around to a bunch of film festivals and won a ton of uh awards at these festivals mm -hmm. and uh yeah you can uh i don't think it's uh available just yet <laughs> i've been holding off on that but <laughs> I, I should post it for everybody to watch eventually because I was, I was planning some big thing and to do more with it mm -hmm. um but yeah that was that was a lot of fun and and one of the best things to come out of rant was tales from the after now so what what year was that then what year did that all transpire uh, or about uh, what time period uh the tales from the after now was about 2003 i think okay um yeah. and we would we would post the mp3s on its own web page and they're all still up uh, mm -hmm. The links might be dead, but uh, they're up there. And there's people who posted posted it on YouTube as well. And we mm -hmm. uh, put all of our uh, all of our content from Rant under the license of Creative Commons. Oh. 
Sure. And I don't know if you're, fam you're familiar with it or the listeners are familiar with it, mm -hmm. but Creative Commons allows you to tailor your uh, license for people to use or not use what mm -hmm. you've made as an artist. And the license we chose was that anybody is allowed to use our content for whatever they want, mm -hmm. as long as they're not making money on it mm -hmm. and they give us credit. And there's various licenses where you could just say, yeah, you can do whatever you want, make money on it, do whatever mm -hmm. you want. And that was kind of our, our view on things because we didn't make money on the station. Mm -hmm. We thought, well, you know, it's kind of fair that we could use other people's stuff as long as we don't make any money on it. And that right. was the the rules of the in internet in Canada at the time. So we we're kind of going along with what was happening. And I think that's how creativity happens on the internet. That's how you build upon past creativity. You work with what people have made in the past, you recreate it in your own format, your own fashion, and you build upon it because none of what we create comes from nothing. We, right. we enjoy things from the past. Mm -hmm. We think they're cool. We put our own little twist on it. We pass it on. We put it out to the world. The next generation sees it, mm -hmm. listens to it, and they're like, wow, this is amazing. And then it continues on like that. But if there's gatekeepers and having it locked down, nobody's able to you know, include little samples or clips or things like that, um things get lost or mm -hmm. things you know go into a vault even right. with streaming services nowadays mm -hmm. it's actually worse now than yeah. ever before <laughs> there was digital media where it's on a disc it's on vhs tape um it's there forever you take it off your shelf you can watch the movie now some movies some media are never put on hard copy that mm -hmm. they, they and they're put onto streaming services and they don't last forever. They don't no. always stay up on the streaming services. And when that license runs out for the two year run on Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever, it's gone. It's literally gone. And if somebody doesn't buy it again to put it on another streaming service, mm -hmm. it's never coming back. And, it, and it's, unless somebody ripped it or pirated it and and that usually only occurs with the biggest of things. Like right. say it's some small niche thing that somebody enjoys. It's really gone forever. And mm. that happened with um, a website called mp3.com. Way back in the day, it hosted right. tons and tons of bands. You uploaded your music to it. They would press a CD on the fly for you. And mm. we put our, some of our stuff on there. And one day mp3.com was bought out by somebody and they just mm. deleted everything. Just millions of hours of innovation and talent and artistry is just gone, absolutely yeah. disappeared forever. And so that's my fear. And that's why we kind of licensed it under that Creative Commons. Anybody's mm -hmm. allowed to copy it, distribute it, remix it, include it into their own um, shows, anything they want. Mm -hmm. But you have to give us credit. And right. don't make any money because if you want to make money, that's great. But you have to, you know, talk to us and work something out. But if you're not making money, we don't, we don't care. Do it. Go for it. Have fun with it. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. Sorry. And a little bit no, of a rant. no, no, I, I totally <laughs> live in agreement that, and uh, I, I work on projects like that as well. 
um, that are all just out there um, and whatever happens happens. And uh, you're, you obviously yeah. want to be known for it, but you don't necessarily really care uh, monetarily about any of that. So, and you're right. Everything is yeah. built upon, built upon, built upon, you know, what, what we've already yeah. been talking about is listening to radio shows and then you kind of mimic and then you put your own spin on it, your own flavor. And then that exactly. goes into the next thing. So we stand on the shoulder of giants. That's we, right. we are, we are not an Island unto ourselves to quote some, <laughs> to quote some things. Um, yeah. Everybody's builds upon the generation before. So then we we're, we're getting up to the time right now where uh podcasts kind of come onto the scene, right? So uh, yes, how did right. that change what you were doing? I mean, obviously you, you talked about uh, archiving some things and putting some things out there, but did, did the uh yeah, go ahead and get a drink <laughs> you've been talking a lot <laughs> uh then did whenever that kind of emerged did that um yeah did that changed the way you thought did that changed the way you were doing things what what happened at that point in time <laughs> well uh podcasting came out you know mid-2000s and it really didn't change what we were doing because we had already been doing it <laughs> for so long. It was like, oh, they finally caught up. That's cool. Uh, I guess we'll put our stuff on whatever podcast thing. So we had, you know, XML things and we would include the podcast, our, our shows in, you know, podcast hosts so mm -hmm. that people could sign up to a show and, you know, they would get it in a easier format, more, more accessible, but it really didn't change our format, what we're doing, the content. It was just another way for people to get our stuff. And it, it was just like the shoutcast listings. It was another mm -hmm. place where people could find, find what we were doing. But around that time is when we started to get into video mm -hmm. and take uh, what we we're doing and put it into video format um, because I was I'd been already always interested in in uh, filming things, mm -hmm. and that's kind of where it started. But the internet was not ready for video, no. that's for sure. Not uh, even it then. Was, not even you, in two thousand four. <laughs> no, just just even getting video onto your computer or editing mm -hmm. video onto your computer was just absolutely brutal. And there was like, there was real video and there was some, some video formats. And I think one of the first things I ever remember is like watching South Park, tiny little tiny windows of <laughs> South Park clips on the internet. And I think mm -hmm. that was the first thing I ever watched that was on the internet. And uh, I, I mean, beyond, beside like flash animations, because those were very uh, uh, low bandwidth. Mm -hmm. So as soon as there was a way to put our videos into our, our our content into video we did but it was so rudimentary it wasn't really kind of ready and that was like quite early 2000s i believe like mm -hmm. 2002 2003 um but then it, it got a little bit in terms of streaming we didn't do anything yet but we did we did film some stuff we edited it and put it out there as as video clips that people can download but um the when we made a jump to streaming video 
uh, was, I believe, 2003, if my timeline is correct. Mm -hmm. And we took one of Sean Kennedy's um, concepts, or we, we transformed one of his shows into a live TV show. And we didn't just turn on a camera and do the radio show as a as a video show. We went full out. We rented a, a space and we put up bleachers. Uh, we made a studio. Uh, we had um, a studio audience uh, that we invited in. We had bands. Uh, we had guests. Um, it was taking the concept of late night TV host mm -hmm. and putting it on the internet in 2003. And we made that jump when, again, uh, Nullsoft released NSV, Nullsoft Video. Mm -hmm. And they enabled us, just like with the audio, to do the exact same thing with video. And it was very low bandwidth. It was very janky. But it worked. And, and we did that for uh, 20 episodes in front of a live studio audience with bands and guests. And it was like two hours each. And uh, those are all up on the internet as well. We filmed them all. We had multi-camera setup. We had three cameras going. So we would switch between the cameras. Mm -hmm. We had somebody on the mixing board for the audio, on the video. And uh, yeah, we like we said, we had live bands performing live on the internet and this was 2003 we were probably one of the first in that format the first like late night shows ever to be on the internet in that in that format to broadcast live so do you remember um uh equipment wise were you were you just using like basically vhs cameras that you you got into a switch or or what, what kind of, uh, on the back end, what kind of stuff were you using for the video before it went into the computer? Yeah, it was very rudimentary. And uh, <laughs> it was, it was um, you know, high eight, digital mm -hmm. eight, depending on the era. Might have been right. digital eight at that time. But, you know, uh, composite video. And mm -hmm. they all ran into a very basic switcher. You know, mm -hmm. the things you hook up to your TV system. Uh, old school oh, kind of thing yeah. where you pick button, video one, pop, 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 video pop. two, yeah, yeah, and it would and it would click over, uh -huh. and it was very, very, very old school and very rudimentary because when you switched inputs, it would lose sync, mm -hmm. and that was very bad, right. <laughs> and so the audio would go out of sync for a minute, the picture would drop out, <laughs> but equivalent, you know, proper studio equipment would be thousands and thousands right. so that it would not lose sync and it would switch over perfectly. It would go from one frame to another frame. You wouldn't see mm -hmm. a black screen, but we didn't care. It was like, we, we weren't going to buy that kind of equipment, you know, $10,000 worth of equipment. And then no. when it, and the output from that, that video switcher, would just go into a, a capture card, which would encode it into Nullsoft null video format, mm -hmm. uh, which was like VP3 or VP6, whatever, ancient uh, compression technology back then. I think it was like 320 by 200, the resolution, okay. at 15 frames a second mm -hmm. and very low audio. And it was like, what? 
And I experimented so much. It's like, what is the best we could squeeze out of this? If reducing the video quality, would it make it like the video size, would it make it better? Or is it better to go bigger with less bit rate? And so I, I figured it out and this was the best format. And at that time we had a 24 uh, seven uh, TV station as well. We oh, had gosh. Rant TV. Yeah. So this, this, this live TV show would break into our stream mm -hmm. of our rotation of videos which were sent in from viewers. And we also had our own um, video shows that we would do as well, pre-recorded. And we'll get into a couple of those because I know you're all about live broadcasting. <laughs> <laughs> or, or is it just any video and early audio any, on the any, internet? Yeah, any. Oh, that's cool. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah, any, so it wasn't happening back then. So, yeah. Yeah, so we were one of the earliest live 24 seven uh, TV stations on the internet as well. Um, there were some other ones, but uh, yeah, it was, it was quite a lot of bandwidth to, to chew up, but like before we had mirrors and people donating their bandwidth mm -hmm. to us. Yeah. How did, how did, so since you rented the space, then how did you get, how did you get out? I mean, was there internet in that space part of the deal or? Yeah, it was a friend's space. It was actually a practice space for bands. Oh, okay. And my band my band practiced there and mm -hmm. we kind of transformed it into this set. And it was in kind of an uh, an unused area. Uh, sometimes they used it for live shows. Mm -hmm. So it was kind of a dual purpose. Gotcha. And we had live bands too. So it all worked mm -hmm. out really well. And they had like multiple rooms where bands could practice or even they had recording rooms as well, so okay. it, it was in our it was in our friend's space, so it worked out perfectly. So they had internet basically as part of that space anyway to do exactly. things that they were doing. Okay, I was just curious. I'm like, gosh, yeah. did you have to pay for that as well? Because I mean, this is <laughs> this no, all, it's all gets very expensive. It was all <laughs> It was but it was that, great, great because people knew about us. It was yeah. all donated, and really, we needed just one stream out of there, and everybody could mirror that one stream and then watch. So then, um, did you map out your twenty shows, or did you just say, "Let's do this until we can't do it anymore"? Or what was your kind of approach to it? Uh, it kind of went in two parts. We did ten shows, took a little break, did ten ten other shows. Um, it was a, a lot of work mm -hmm. and that's kind of why it stopped. Um, we had to book these bands. We had to make sure, oh, can you do it on this date? Okay. How about the next Sunday? Mm -hmm. Uh, oh, we needed this, you know, this guest for talking. Usually they were, sometimes they were people in bands. Sometimes they were people in technology. Sometimes they were just random, interesting people <laughs> Sean met. Mm -hmm. Um, but there was, they were already always interesting. Um, but yeah, we, we mapped it out. We did schedules mm -hmm. of who was when, and sometimes I was away and somebody stood in for me as the co-host. Sean mm -hmm. was the host and I was the, you know, the guy who laughed and kept things <laughs> on track and, <laughs> sure. and, uh, had news, news stories. I have the Ed McMahon to the Johnny Carson right. or, <laughs> That's um, but it was a lot of work. And uh, it was it was too much work. And so that's why right. it kind of ended at 20. And we took it to its natural conclusion. And it was it was a kind of a fun, fun experiment. Oh, um, I can imagine that would be fantastic. 
How, how did you ever merge with um, like uh, uh, community television or um, you know cable access type stuff? Because it seems like it would be almost a, we, a natural fit, but um, just yeah, curious. We thought about that, and we kind of started getting the feelers out. I I worked at an ISP at that time, which was also um a cable company mm -hmm. um so they had a community station that they broadcast things on and uh i kind of went with that but we were kind of a little edgy you know we would <laughs> swear and stuff that sure, probably sure. wouldn't fly and uh, we we're pretty low tech and um i i think we just didn't want to be limited in any way mm -hmm. and yeah. it was going just fine with what we were doing and we weren't mm -hmm. trying to make money on it. So mm -hmm. we didn't feel the need to move to a, a, an established studio or anything like that, or a local community station. Um, it just it just didn't interest us. We didn't want to feel confined in any way. It's like, oh, we didn't have to get, per we didn't want to ask permission and we didn't right. need to ask permission when, when we did our stuff. We didn't need to ask permission to do the radio station or the TV station. We just, turned it on and said what we wanted to do and had people on that we wanted to have on. And that was kind of the fun of it. And, and it felt like that pump up the volume kind of mm -hmm. atmosphere where we would, you know, play music the, that we wanted or take a phone call when we wanted. It was, it was just, it was just too much fun to possibly be set to have a no mm -hmm. told to us. And we didn't so want to even hear a no Oh, uh, so you, you talk you, yourself and we talked about Sean and a few other people. So who was, are you the person that was the glue? Because I can, you know, just from experience, I'm sure everybody has yeah. this experience trying to get all these people coordinated is uh, <laughs> an impossible task. And so just to do yeah. one show, let alone 20 shows like that, especially uh, at that time yeah. period, is just um, amazing. So, what would you, out of the group of people, who would was it yourself who was the glue, or what would you, what would you think here? I mean, everybody pitched in, but uh, the main roles. Sean was the face, the voice. I played the producer role in everything, mm -hmm. so I did a lot of the organizing for all of this. Mm -hmm. um, I was kind of the glue that held everything together. I did the scheduling. I made the arrangements, made sure everything was running on track and on time. Um, I did the the management of DJs. And of course, lots of people helped out along the sure. way. They came in and out. Um, but uh, primarily my role was producer. And that that follows to today with my film <laughs> career. I'm still a producer. Yeah. And I'm also the editor, which I, which I was doing back then. I was editing you know, little clips. I was uh, editing together the video and audio and compressing it to, you know, uh, format and putting it on the website, putting it on YouTube. And uh, yeah, so I, I was, I was the producer. I was never, I, I never considered myself the, the entertainer, the front man. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I had to take that role in some of the projects but I don't consider myself a front man. I'm, I don't think I'm very entertaining. I'm very good at getting the facts out and getting the information out to people. But uh, usually information is not very entertaining. 
I try to make it entertaining, or at least the things I'm talking about is entertaining, and maybe not me. But uh, yeah, the the producer role is what I fall into. Okay, so I mean, because that's important. I mean, that's so important because it's hard to get to keep everything yeah. moving. So getting those parts together and then getting the you know the engine going uh, is incredibly difficult. I, if people haven't done anything like this. Uh, you know, if they have and they're successful, more power to them. But it's really hard to get everything going and keep it going uh, for for anything. And that, I mean, that's kudos to you. Yeah. So you want so consistency. You, you want quality. You mm -hmm. want uh, regularity. Like you want people to know that you're going to be there on a Monday or a Sunday mm -hmm. every week. You want yeah. them to know that it's going to work. They're not going to be like, oh, it's not there. I can't tune in or, you know, the microphones need to work. You know, do you need some guy to to run the technology to make sure that everything's up kept? And, you know, I was that guy. I was the guy who made sure the tech worked, make sure everything's on time, gathered the people together, you know, oh, we're doing it at nine. Everybody be here at nine. And uh, I made sure everything <laughs> ran on time. And and then I just turned over the microphone to the people that uh, you know entertained the people and and uh, yeah and it was fun I I don't mind I I think some people may be like oh didn't you want to be up front didn't you want to be the person in front of the camera mm -hmm. it's like no I I get a lot of joy out of knowing that things worked out in the end mm -hmm. and people enjoyed what I put together and me recognizing that this person needs to be out there and put them in front of the camera or put them on a microphone. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what I really, really enjoy is that at, in the end, people are entertained and it all works out. So this whole time you're, you're, I'm assuming you're working at least a part-time, if not a full-time job to try to keep all this yeah. going as, as well. And um, yeah. so, I mean, that that in and of itself is is uh, amazing because this is these are not small tasks, even if you know uh, you think oh well twenty but no you can't it, it it's it's almost incredible for people today to fathom how difficult all this would have been um, in an age when the technology was either you know uh, so expensive or just not even there. I mean, it wasn't even in existence. It's both. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rudimentary so, and expensive. <laughs> so when did the, the, cause I know now that you're, you're doing some other things uh, that are kind of more in this vein. So when did those two worlds yeah. kind of come together to where you're doing these things for fun, you're doing these things for uh, that you want to do, uh, but you have a, a separate job and now everything kind of comes together. What, how, how did that come about? Um, so, like you said, I, I was working full time during the years of rant. Mm -hmm. And um, so I did it in my off time. It was not only my thing I did in my off time. It was a hobby. It was something mm -hmm. I liked. It involved all my friends. So it it really wasn't in addition to, you know, doing things with friends. I kind of made that rant. I had my friends over. We just uh, met up and recorded it <laughs> while we're hanging <laughs> out. And we we made it fun. We made it a fun thing to do. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it really didn't interfere with my life because it was my life. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that kind of flipped it into a full-time thing, and this was kind of when Rant kind of stopped at the same time because I, I knew Rant wasn't the thing that would make me money. Uh, mm-hmm. I needed to to transform it into something, but I was laid off from my uh, job in 2009 mm-hmm. um, at at the ISP, mm-hmm. um, and so after that, I went to film school. Uh, oh. I had a lot of background and training because of the things I did with right. Rant. <laughs> yeah, um, and and we'll get into some of the video things because that's that's kind of what I'm doing right now is is making films. Mm-hmm. Um, so I went to film school to just to do two things, to fill in any gaps of knowledge that I didn't know or didn't know I didn't know as well. Mm-hmm. And also reassure myself that I was on the rack, right track of where I fit in as a filmmaker, because mm-hmm. I had made films and TV shows and just tons and tons of stuff with rant. Mm-hmm. Um, but to take that to a collaborative effort where there's a lot of other people involved and it's, you know, it's a professional film set. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make sure that I was doing things the right way and I was in the right job on that film set. Mm -hmm. So I went to film school and it hundred percent reassured me of (laughs) what I was already doing was Mm -hmm. the right thing that I wanted to do on set as well, which was producing and Mm -hmm. editing um producing overseeing the whole project and editing kind of having the last say and the last touch on everything that's made and as the as the editor you are the last person to kind of touch everything you put together the audio the video you take out the things that are boring you keep the things in that are good and that's the final product is the person is the editor and so those two roles really uh were perfect for what i was doing and i had been doing that all along Mm -hmm. and it reassured me because i in film school you know they put you on the camera they put you on audio they put you on all these different jobs right the director writer and none of them felt right because they forced you to do all of them because (laughs) that makes sense you should learn all of these roles and you should try them all out. And in the end, I was like, yeah, I, I do not like doing all, all those other things. I can do them, but I don't like them. Mm-hmm. I really love producing because producing you're there at the beginning. You're there right to the end. You mm-hmm. arrange it, you bring the crew together, you pick the right projects. And that's what I was doing all along. And so all of this rant radio and rant TV and rant media was my training ground for my career now mm-hmm. and it was some of the best school that i could have gone through and i i learned it through trial and error you know what works what doesn't work what resonates with people um you know how long should a show be how long should a a segment of a tv show or a segment of a radio show be uh what's how do you readjust on the fly um keeping people entertained keeping them uh listening keeping them watching and uh yeah it was really really great training and and kind of all accidental because it was all just for fun <laughs> it was it was just something i did in my spare time outside of uh of working 
Um, so some of the getting into the video side of mm-hmm. rant uh, in rant TV. So, like I said, I, I started recording Sean Kennedy mm-hmm. two years before rant radio. So I stuck mm-hmm. a right. camera in his face until he stopped pushing the camera out of his face. Uh, and uh, cause he was a little hesitant at first and I recorded a bunch of stuff and I kept recording anytime we went out on an adventure, anytime we went out doing anything, uh, I was filming him. Mm-hmm. So after a while I had a bunch of clips of Sean doing stuff <laughs> and mm-hmm. that kind of, merged into something we called sktfm.tv sean kennedy the effing man dot tv <laughs> yeah um, you substitute the f for something else sure. and it was just a collection of clips of sean being absolutely hilarious in his storytelling just doing random things and people really responded to that quite a lot and we put together a bunch of at first it was just stuff I recorded and then we did purposeful things mm-hmm. that I recorded with him on for the the sktfm.tv and we did like I don't know 13 20 episodes of that they're half hour to an hour long mm-hmm. uh they're all on the internet in various formats um and then we did a real show like it was mapped out it was written Every episode was very specific and it was called Patrolling with Mm -hmm. Sean Kennedy. And it was a kind of tongue in cheek survival series because he had he had military background. He was in the Mm -hmm. army and we kind of turned that into like this character where he's like really hard headed. Everything is about you know, surviving and the world's good after you and the, you got to, you know, prepare for the worst. And it was like mm-hmm. super over the top tongue in cheek. And he would dress up in military outfit and, and not military outfit, but, um, um, uh, camouflage and he would wear backpacks and jump over things. It was really, <laughs> really silly, but also filled with actual information too. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we did, uh, two seasons of that. And it got on um, satellite television. It aired in a bunch of, uh, you know, independent uh, television stations in the U.S. as well. And, uh, yeah, we broadcast that, of course, on Rant TV. And we put out DVD compilations of it with our commentary over top of <laughs> the uh, the videos. And we put in bonus clips. And that was a lot of fun. And that was kind of my first real putting together uh, a video, like a po- proper television show with clips. And we filmed an, uh, a really over-the-top intro with music in behind it and did credits. And it was it was proper. And that's mm-hmm. why it got on like some satellite TV stations and stuff. And so that was just a ton of fun. So, I mean, this is almost come full circle. So you're talking about... Uh, as a child doing these things and then uh it it morphs into how can i do this myself without having to get into um the world of terrestrial radio that we call it now but just radio back then Uh, but uh (laughs) without you know being so young and everything and 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 uh not really having the uh connections uh we'd say uh but and then yep. now you're 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 at to the point now where you're you're the producing person who's putting these things out uh yourself yeah. so all, all this kind of 
comes full circle in a way to get you where you wanted to go, even if it was uh, a bit circuitous uh, in its, you know, getting there. Because um, I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> yeah. that you're, you're obviously, if you worked at the ISP, you're a fairly technologically savvy person. And you could have went on that yeah. route. It could have been just doing that rather than oh. doing this. So it absolutely could have. I, I went to university for computer science and, yeah. you know, it it was like one of those two paths, you know, which are quite different entertainment and, and hard science, you know, <laughs> right. um, but they kind of they kind of merge together because I deal with technology on a day to day basis. Um, and to this day, I'm still streaming. I I I have a streaming show on Twitch. It, it, it's it's called uh, zero page yeah. homebrew and uh it's 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 small it's it's a niche it's along the same lines of what i've always been doing you know i do what i want to do it's and and i find the audience the show is all about playing brand new games for really old systems like atari 2600 you know mm -hmm. a system that's 45 years old but there's still people making games for it, like really, really good games. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm I'm just fascinated by that. And I wanted to give back to that community that are making these amazing new games. And I thought, you know, I, I can't not broadcast. I just have this compunction to do this kind of thing and be on the internet and broadcast to people and and have a community of people. And, uh, and this just called out to me to make another streaming show yet again <laughs> here it is 25 years later still streaming on the internet mm -hmm. um and the and the technology is better than ever it's amazing <laughs> you know you can broad you can broadcast in in 4k if you want it mm -hmm. with beautiful you know cameras i'm i'm using a dslr a mirrorless dslr mm -hmm. that uh, can broadcast in 4k and i'm doing video capture from multiple devices and mm -hmm. audio input and streaming a video game and i've upgraded these old consoles to output rgb uh the best <laughs> video quality they can and you know mm -hmm. i'm always striving for quality 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 just like i did back then what is the best quality i can get to to show what i'm trying to do and i'm still having fun 25 years later doing broadcasting exactly as i was doing involving mm. my friends on the show bringing them on the show to co-host with me this time mm. i'm the host um <laughs> because you know i love i love old video games and i love video games in general and i have a bit of knowledge so i can kind of talk about that this time mm. it's it's my wheelhouse this time but that's just a hobby. My my real job, my day-to-day -day job is filmmaking. I'm a filmmaker. Um, I I I'm a producer and editor, like I said. So I take take ideas and I bring them to life and I follow through all the way. And um I made a feature documentary that's uh got distribution. It's on Amazon Prime video. It's like a you know, that's the height you can right. biggest, highest height you can get is is having it on a streaming service. Mm -hmm. It's it's uh, called a perfect 14. And it's uh, we traveled to 14 countries all over the world filming it. Oh, wow. It was just me and my friend. We did it independent, just like we always do. Um, <laughs> everything I've ever done is like on my own terms. 
And mm-hmm. uh, this went this went huge. We won a ton of top awards for best documentary, and it and obviously, like I said, it ended up on SVOD on Prime Video. It's been on there for years, and uh, yeah, it's doing really really well. It's about the plus size modeling industry, a film that's never never been done on that subject before. I always like mm-hmm. to do niche things that find an audience. That's so interesting. And so, yeah. The, so we're uh, working on tons more projects and we're going to have some more uh, movies coming out soon. So, I mean, I have to ask the question, not that I'm, I keep asking the same question and it's not that I'm, I'm so uh, <laughs> uh, focused on this because I'm not, because I've basically been doing things for free this whole time as well. But so when you go yeah. into 14 countries though, I mean, that's, that's going to cost something. Um out in the world yep. and so <laughs> did you did you have to raise capital did you just use buddy that you saved yourself and you fronted everything and then basically you basically own it at the back end as well is that the idea i mean how did how did that come about that's, i guess that's exactly right um so we uh shot locally first mm-hmm. a little teaser and put it onto a, a crowdfunding site okay. and uh, got some money that way and uh, then the rest uh, I invested into the film. So it was pure DIY. It was all done by us, financed by us. And that way we had full control. We did take it to a bunch of uh, distributors and they were all very interested in it, but they wanted to really change it into something that it wasn't Mm -hmm. to appeal to their demographic. And it would really change the core of the film and at that point, it becomes something else. It becomes something you're working on for somebody else. Right. And right. I would rather work on something that I have passion for. Um, you know, that carries through from all my right. everything I've ever done. I, I would I would rather work on something that I had passion for than just go back to a nine to five job. I would rather do that. Just go back to a nine to five job because that's what it would be mm-hmm. if I was just a work for hire on a a movie or a TV show or something, uh, I find it much more interesting to find these ideas and bring them to life and follow through right to the end and make something that I'm proud of, Mm -hmm. that I know there's an audience for. If it's a niche audience or if it's a a bigger audience, it it doesn't matter um, as long as that I'm enjoying what I'm doing. And and so far, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing in, in both realms, my, my kind of free streaming of video games or my, my, my day job of making films. I always make sure that the ideas that I'm working on are something that brings me joy. And um, I do take, I do take donations for the, uh, the video game streaming thing, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't even cover the the money i put into it so i i lose money i lose lots of money because i have to buy the the video game systems and the games and but you know it's it's a passion project it's it's for fun and if people want to donate that's all cool with me to help you know buy a game here and there um but yeah it's it's been a fun fun ride so far and i'm really happy to continue on and and there's a there's a thread when i look at my life Mm-hmm. From those early days of investigating what radio is all about by just going through the dial mm-hmm. uh, right up to now of being that person who is making that content for those people 
that are checking out things on the internet and going, that's cool. I want to do that too. And I, I think that's a really nice thing to do is be an inspiration for the next generation mm -hmm. of people and, and show that you can have fun uh, doing what you love. Um, and, and the motto of Rant was inspire, create, and share. That mm -hmm. was the, th the, the three words. That was our motto. I wanted to inspire people because I was inspired. I wanted, and that makes people create. And I wanted mm -hmm. them to share their creations with the world, mm -hmm. not to have them locked up behind something. You know, that goes along with the creative commons that goes along mm -hmm. with releasing everything on the internet. Um, yeah. And, and the thread has been throughout my life and it, and it's really amazing that it's, even though the, the medium has changed or the project has changed, the ethos behind it really hasn't. And that's fantastic. That brings us up to today and kind of wraps everything up. Uh, obviously, you're a very passionate person. If you had, so yeah. being at the beginning of these things, kind of being a pioneer for these things, uh, doing things now even that are are kind of uh, outside of what we would say would be the regular or the, I don't want to use the word norm, but we'll say regular. Um <laughs> If oh, you're, norm is if, fun. Yeah. <laughs> you're looking into your crystal ball because obviously you're a very passionate person. You're a very creative person. You know, if you had to say, I think this is where it's going. What would you, what would you think? What would your gut reaction be uh, as we move into the future with all this? It has gone <laughs> so far in the past 25 years that it's so hard to predict now. Like I could have predicted what's happening now, mm -hmm. 25 years ago, because I, I, I was striving for what's happening now. The democratization of media is at an all time high right now. Everyone has in their pockets mm -hmm. what I barely had in 1999 in order to broadcast to the world, anyone can broadcast to the world right now with their phone. They can hit a button and all of a sudden they are live streaming video and audio. Anyone can tune in. Anyone can type back to them their thoughts on what's being broadcast. I mean, I was doing it in 1999, but it was hard. You had to really put in the effort. You had to know the technology. You had to have the technology. Um, but it really hasn't changed in 25 years. The, the thing that people want to do is the same. Mm -hmm. It's just the way they do it is a little different. So looking into my crystal ball, I think it's going to be pretty much the same. It's just going to be just delivered a little bit differently. Uh, I can't even imagine what could be different about it. There's audio, there's video, you know, we have, uh, maybe it can go more into the VR realm with uh, 360 cameras and people can be their own director of the view, point of view mm -hmm. that people are hearing and viewing. There's There could be multiple microphones, multiple cameras they can switch between. They can be their own director, much mm -hmm. like um, the way people play video games now. Mm -hmm. They take part in the medium. The viewer is an active participant more so than they are now. So it, 
there's you know there there's good and bad with that because the broadcaster loses their point of view mm-hmm. and the thing they want to say a little bit and the viewer dictates more of what the point of view that they want but i see that kind of going that way anyway so i think the that would be the direction that i would see things going in where it's the viewer dictates more of what they see and hear rather than the broadcaster and then the broadcaster kind of tailors the experience to what the viewers are asking for and there's a more connectedness between the broadcaster and the viewer and it's a more real-time experience and the broadcaster can go oh they're really liking this aspect of it so let's kind of push towards that video or audio it's i mean i'm talking in such general terms because it doesn't exist this this kind of medium doesn't really exist right now you have to think about like the viewer floating in a 3d space Mm -hmm. inside the realm of the broadcaster and they can position themselves anywhere within the view like say a they're directing a um like a a drone inside the space of the broadcaster and i don't know how it's going to be accomplished because you can't right now really have a million cameras and you can only have so many drones or cameras flying (laughs) but there are technologies of 3d mapping and Mm -hmm. real-time 3d mapping of a space and uh with things like uh dolby uh not dolby vision but the audio equivalent of dolby vision um where the audio is in a space in a room i can't mm-hmm. i can't believe i can't remember the name of it but you positioned yourself in the audio space of a broadcast so these things are on the edge of being possible mm-hmm. and also there is like virtual spaces that you can create with um immersive lcd screens mm-hmm. so once you we are able to make that leap in real time um to be a virtual broadcast where there's this direct interaction uh, i think that will be the next leap i hope i yeah. was able to convey that weird uh nebulous idea no <laughs> I, I think listening. it was perfect because essentially you place yourself in the action you could be looking over your shoulder you could be seeing what you saw yep. you can you can look forward into the into what the character is seeing yep. or look back and see what they where they've been and it all yeah, imagine a movie where you could jump yeah. jump into anybody's body any character's mm-hmm. body at yeah, any given yeah. time you could be the protagonist you can be the antagonist yeah. you could be a person in the crowd looking over the action mm-hmm. that's happening you could be the guy in the helicopter you know right. shooting down at the the criminals whatever is happening whatever. you can jump at any time yeah yeah and that's that's just in the realm of video games right now but right. not in the realm of reality but right. the technology is getting there i think yeah i think it uh, uh is on its way i mean it may be another 25 years away but it, yeah <laughs> we're heading in that direction and i totally agree with your uh, uh vision of the future james thank you so for my, uh, so much for being on here with me and talking uh, i know it's uh, uh it's been quite the journey and i'm so glad to have been connected <laughs> with you 
and we were able to have this uh, conversation. And uh, the pioneer of not only uh, uh, streaming uh, audio, streaming video, and crowdfunding. Go figure. None of those <laughs> words were invented back Maybe. then, right? <laughs> That's right. And here we are. I, I talking guess so. About them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, so, uh, it's a wild ride. And, and thank you so much, Bob, for allowing me on your show. It's been an amazing interview to talk about uh, all these things. And watch, uh, go find the uh, Perfect 14, right? Was the thing that's out on Amazon. Uh, take a, That's right, take a, a Perfect watch. 14 on Amazon Prime Video. Or if you yeah. want to watch my uh, video game show, if you like old video games or video games in general, it's uh, Zero Page Homebrew on Twitch and YouTube. There you go. Check it out. And uh, we'll see you next time here on The Priorcaster.